Let's uh, stand. Let me read the day's passage from Luke 12, beginning in verse 22. It is highly relevant to our lives. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor span, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no, no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's the Word of God. Please be seated. All righty, church, you can tell the theme of that passage from Jesus. Uh, do not be anxious, do not worry, do not fear. Over and over again, five times in that passage, plus uh, almost a dozen reasons why we should not do that. I mean, how relevant is that? Uh, challenging us in our struggles with anxiety. You know, how many of us struggle with worry? And anger and fear. Well, every, of course, all of us do. Uh, it is one of our human challenges. Uh, it's been said it is the governing human emotion, worry, fear, probably the most lethal human emotion. And, and it's just part of our humanness to struggle with it. Now, the passage particularly speaks to financial worry, but it, of course, applies to every kind of worry. And, and I just would urge you this morning, you know, what have you been worrying about lately? You know, what does God want to speak to you about this morning, about your worry and your fear? You know, does it involve finances and security and the economy? You know, certainly that is relevant today with, uh, you know, the uh, daily watch on the price of oil and an energy-centric uh, 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 culture here, and layoffs are coming, and that may have already affected some of you. That's very real. And by the way, those of you who are struggling with unemployment, uh, my heart goes out to you because not only is that financially tough, but there is something about work and the way God has made us, I think especially for men, that that cuts to the, the deep in our souls. And, and, and my heart goes out to you, and God knows what's on your heart with that. 
But of course, there's all kinds of worry. There's worry about uh, cancer and Alzheimer's and children in car wrecks and, you know, how our teenagers are doing and how our adult children can do it and, and maybe you kids, how your parents are doing. Um, you know, is the terrorism going to explode on our shoulder and our shores again? Uh, there's no shortage of things for us to worry and fear about. And, and God uh, wants to take this uh, challenging area for us and, and bring some transformation and bring some life change for all of us. Set us free more and more. So Jesus has a number of, uh, of practical principles about this. For example, in the first one, in page, on verse 23, he says, basically, your life is more than finances and things like that, food and clothing. He says, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Now, that just seems uh, almost axiomatic. You know, what's the point there? Well, it's not unlike the, pa- the, party made la- the, past- the principle he made last week in 12.15 when he's warning against greed. And in verse 15, he says, take care, be on your guard against all greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And as I mentioned last week, none of us would ever say or have ever heard anybody else say, my life consists in how much money I've got, how big my house is. But yet that, that mindset that Jesus puts his finger on is just rife in the human heart. That somehow we think that the more money we have, the, the bigger the house is, the more cars, that, that the more value and worth we have as if life consists in the abundance of our possessions. And not only our significance and value, but our security. We think it's, you know, it's found in money. And, and, and not just those things, but, but really joy and happiness. The more I get, the more I'm happy I'm going to be. And Jesus, the message of the Bible is saying, no, no, no. Money is the great rival in the human heart to God. It is a power that can, that can capture you and ensnare you and plunge you into all kind of ruin and destruction. Don't love money and think that's the measure of life. And so Jesus, right at the outset of this passage on worry, basically says, look, life is not found here. Don't be preoccupied with your bank account, with your job, with your finances, with all those things. That's not where life is. Not the essence of life. So greed that we saw last week that prompted us to get this Alcorn book out there. Greed is not only the inordinate love of money, it is also excessive worry about money or the lack of money. By the way, uh, people with very little money can be preoccupied and seek those things. People with lots of money can be preoccupied. And Jesus would set us free. It's a good tool to use, to enjoy, but not to seek, not to be preoccupied with. So life is more than food. The body's more than clothing. And then he says the next principle, next reason not to, to worry about things like this is that your God in heaven is crazy in love with you. That's the point of the next, next verse, verse 24. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. And here's the punchline of how much more value are you than the birds. And God is just saying, look, I take care of those birds and you are so much more valuable to me. You matter so much to me. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. So what are you worried about? Your children? Disease? Uh, finances? Uh, marriage? Uh, not being married? Child? Not having a child? What are you worried about? 
Your father is crazy in love with you. You can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him. You know, um, basic to worry is how we see God. The, the more we see God as he is, the more our worry is going to naturally dissipate. That is why it is so critical and crucial to meet with God in his word every day so that our minds can be brainwashed by who, by who God really is. Rather than listening to the lies of the enemy that God doesn't take care of you, God doesn't hear your prayers, God doesn't really love you, God's mad at you, all those lies that you've heard all your life, we've got to soak ourselves in the truths of the Word of God if we're going to have a chance against worry and against fear. Every day, I want to soak in verses like this. I've got a list of these. I've mentioned that before. And I'm in one or more of these every day, sometimes all of them. Psalm 103. 11 and 12, as high as the heavens are above the earth, infinite, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, infinite, so far has he removed our sins from us. I'm that loved, that forgiven. Or verses like Romans 5, 8, but God proves his own love for us in this while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not because we're good people, but despite the fact that we mess up a lot. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. And, and we've got to be in the Word of God every day and ask God to speak to our souls so we can learn more and more to trust Him and to let go of that worry and that fear that would just uh, evaporate and, and just rob us of all joy and peace. You know, it's interesting. One of the phrases Jesus uses here, is, is, is do not be worried. And, and the word, English word worry comes from an old English word um, that has the idea of strangle. And, and really, we, we're being strangled by worry and fear uh, of all life and joy and hope. Um, later, the word evolved to include not only uh, being strangled, but, but an animal biting and harassing you. And I just couldn't help but think about, uh, you know, 30 or 40 years, really 40 years of running, and uh, a lot of country roads and a lot of dogs who would give chase over the years. And one of the things I learned about dogs is that if you show any fear, they love it, and they go after you. But if you just act completely fearless, you know, they, t- they turn tail and run. And, and all you really got to do is just pretend that you're going to pick up a rock, and that does it for them. Just about invariably. I only had a couple of exceptions over the years. But what, yeah, those guys scared me to death, really. Uh, but those little ankle biters, you know, that are so small and yapping, uh, maybe you own one of those. But, um, you, know, uh, you know, they come after you and you just kind of ignore them because they can't reach above the end of your Nikes there. And, uh, but but they, they nip after you and chase you and yip and, and, and they just harass you. And that's what worry does for us. And there can be no joy, no peace, no life when, when we're being strangled to death and harassed by worry and fear. And, and God says, you don't have to live that way. You don't. Trust me. Trust me. Now, here's our challenge this morning, church, to me, um, is that some of you feel like, no, you don't know me, Jeff. I've got to worry. It's just the way I am. 
Now, is, is that not a lie of the enemy or what? <laughs> to tell you, to convince you that you have got to worry and fear, you have no choice. How many of us have believed that lie <laughs> for way too long? And yet Jesus is right here telling us repeatedly, do not worry. Do not fear. Do not be anxious. Uh, we don't have to live that way. We don't have to listen to that lie. And he's given us reason after reason uh, to, to not give way to that. At the heart of it is the character of God. John Stott is very interesting on this passage. He says, you know, it first tells you here to, to look at the birds, to think about them, to consider them. And he's saying Christian faith involves thinking, thinking. So often we just, you know, kind of go along with whatever thoughts come into our mind. Don't do that. Think God's thoughts. Look at those birds. Look at the God cares for them and how much more valuable you are than the birds. Think in your faith and trust God. Okay, there's another one coming up in 25. He says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? In other words, worry doesn't help. It just doesn't work. It does you no good whatsoever. And he adds in verse 26, if then you are, are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? It just doesn't help. Sometimes we think that when we get a lot of money that, well, okay, we're safe now. You know, we're, we're, something bad happens, you know, we're okay. You know, we're, we're, we got, got our security for the future. But, but that doesn't give us security. Money cannot stop tragedy from happening. Money cannot stop death. Money cannot stop catastrophes from happening. There's no security in money. It's only in our God. Worrying about things and stuff or anything else doesn't help one bit. Okay, the next reason, he goes, he goes back to the love of God in 27. Just in case we humans don't quite... Uh, because we're so slow to believe the love of God. He goes back to it in 27. Consider the lilies. Again, think about the lilies. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And that includes not just, that just speaks not only to the material things of life, to our finances, to job situations, but to all of life. How much more valuable are you than these flowers that are, you know, last a day? God is telling us, I love you. Trust me, I love you. And He wants us to love you. He's got more. Verse 28, but if, verse 29. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. In other words, don't focus on these things. Don't be preoccupied with stuff, with things, with money. Tool, you know, you give them some time, some attention. But, but that's not what you seek after in life. He goes on. Don't be preoccupied with those things. He says, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Okay, well, what's the point here? He's in a section on telling us not to worry, and he says all the nations of the world, all the Gentiles of the world, it could be translated, all those who don't know me, they worry about things, about stuff. But you are different. You know God. 
You've got the risen Christ inside you. Why are you worrying just like any non-Christian? You know me. You can trust me. He's saying, don't live like a non-Christian. And so, church, let's go back to that lie that Satan would have us believe that you've got to worry. I mean, how unbiblical is that? That's what the pagans do. That's what the non-Christians do. Why are you living just like any atheist or humanist right down your street? Trust your God. Trust your God. Church, this is what I'm concerned about, is that this is a challenge for all of us. It's a challenge for me. I mean, worry, fear, these things, this is a, t- this is a tough one. Um, we've got to encourage one another that we can trust our God. We've got to pray with one another and for one another. That's why groups are so important, to be in a group, to live life with others, because we need other people to encourage us and to help us. A lot of encouragement, really, bottom line, is about encouraging people to trust the Lord. You don't have to give way to worry. So, he's got more. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows you need them. Papa knows what you need. He understands. Papa knows your needs. Instead, verse 31, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Okay, now, here for the first time, he's told us time after time what not to do. Here for the first time, what to do. Rather than being preoccupied with all the worries of life, this is what we ought to be preoccupied with, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he's going to meet our needs. Matthew 6, puts it more strongly when it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You seek me first and I'll take care of you. Now, some of you might be out there thinking, well, uh, that hadn't happened to me. I'm not being taken care of. Are you seeking God first? That's part of trusting God, seeking God first. What does that look like? Well, you know, it does things like this. You gather with God's people for worship. Um, You obey him. You're chasing his dreams, not your dreams. You're living for his agenda, not your agenda. You want to know him. And to love him. And so every day you get alone with an open Bible and you ask God to speak to you. And you talk with him. And you listen to him. And you worship him. I think uh, if there's one sure sign of seeking God first, it would be right here. Unhurried time alone with God. And so if you're not doing that, don't be surprised if, you know, worry is strangling you to death. Uh, he's telling us, put him first. Neglect other things. Neglect other good things, but don't neglect him because he's first in your life. Um, you pray and you, you read the Bible. You see who God really is. You see that he's good. You, you hear him time, time after time that I love you. You can trust me. I'll take care of you. And after years, maybe decades, we, we finally start to believe it and, and the worry and the fear begins to leave. Not an overnight thing. Praying, calling out to God, seeking Him first. Uh, someone put it this way. Um, worry about nothing, pray about everything. 
just, you know, direct contrast. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. It's Philippians 4, 6, and 7, isn't it? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like a, a phalanx of bodyguards for a president guarding them. Uh, God's peace will guard us. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. With thanksgiving, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you've taken care of me in the past. You're going to take care of me in the future. Um, For the services each Sunday, uh, there's a team of people who pray over me underneath the soundboard. It's our prayer room back there. And it's very special to me. And any of you are welcome to join us. We meet at 815. And two of the people who always join us are Sam and Topi, Ocha Fatimi. Nigerian. And they are prayer warriors, people of faith. And um, when we finished praying this morning, Topi said, I've got a quick story that I think God wants me to tell y'all. And this was her story. She said when she first immigrated from Nigeria to the United States, she had a sister in New York City. And she, so she lands in New York City. And of course, she didn't have a job. You know, she's single. She, she uh, you know, doesn't have status, you know, the right to really stay in this country more than a visitor. And uh, so she's got to get all those things. And um, she finds an immigration attorney. Some of you can directly relate to this. She finds an immigration attorney. And, um, and she, there's the day that she's going to go to court and, uh, to see if she can get status. And she said that she felt God impressed upon her for the court trial to wear her finest Nigerian dress. So she did. She dressed up in her finest. And she went downstairs. Her sister takes one look at her and says, get back upstairs and put on some poor rundown clothes so he'll feel sorry for you. And she said, no, I think God has told me to wear my finest clothes. And then she gets to the attorney and he said, I'm so sorry to tell you this. This has never happened to me, but your file folder is empty and you could be deported tomorrow. And he was just, you know, felt sick about that he wasn't ready. And um, she said to him, I feel like God has told me that you're actually not going to say anything and the judge is going to take care of it. And he said, well, okay, well, just don't hurt the case. So they get to the court. Uh, When it was her turn to come up before the judge, the judge said, young lady, I have read your file folder. Keep in mind, her file folder was empty. I have read your file folder, and it looks great, and I'm giving you green card status. And her attorney doesn't have to say a word. And if you know Topi, you know, that's just the way she lives. You know, I've been fretting myself to death. that You know, tomorrow I'm going to be flying back to, to Nigeria. But she was trusting her God, which is, which is the way that God wants his people to live. And the way, by God's grace, that we can live. Seek Him first. Now, she uh, seeks the Lord first. She cannot pray without Bible coming all out. And, And she's a woman of faith. Seek Him first. And all these things, He'll add to you. Now, there's a couple more things here at the end. He says, verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And I think what is Jesus saying here, look, you're his kids. You get the whole kingdom. You know, I imagine that uh, 
uh, William and Kate's kids are going to be doing fine. <laughs> they got the kingdom. And, and that's what God is saying. You got the kingdom. I'll be with you. I'll take care of you. I'll see you through. That means it's not going to be hard, hard at times because he's teaching us to trust him. But I'll see you through. Interesting in that verse, uh, three relationships with, with God here, implicit. Fear not, little flock. I am the sheep. He's the shepherd. He's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in need. I shall not want. He's my shepherd. He's going to take care of me. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure. He's my father. He's my papa. He's going to take care of me. First John 3, 1. See how great a love the Father has for us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are? It's amazing. We're His kids. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So He's the shepherd. He's the Father. He's the king. And He's got all resources and can take care of you. Seek Him first. And then finally, one more. It says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Wherever you put your money, your heart's going to go. If you put it on things and houses and cars, your heart is going to be all wrapped up in those things. But if you, if you, you put it in the kingdom of God, other people, that's where your heart's going to be. You're going to love God and you're going to love others. What he's saying to us is, look, you are free to be, you're set free to be generous. Uh, You're not like the unbelievers. You're not like the pagans. Uh, God is with you. He's not giving you a spirit of fear. As uh, 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, for example, uh, God has not given us a spirit of of fear, but a power and love and discipline. That's what you really have. Don't listen to Satan's lies that you have a spirit of fear and you've got to give in to it. That's not who you are. He says, you're free to be generous with things. Um, when it says, sell your possessions and give to the needy, I think we're pretty clear from what happens in the Gospel of Luke with his own disciples and what happens in volume two of Luke with the early church, that this doesn't mean that you don't universalize this, that every single one of us goes out tomorrow and liquidates all we have and gives it away. But it also doesn't mean that you never do that. God from time to time calls us that. But all of us, we hold it loosely because it's God's, not ours. Uh, many of you have heard me tell some version of the story of William Borden, the heir to the Borden fortune. About a century ago, before he goes to college at Yale University, his parents sent him on a round-the-world tour to get more learning. And he's a believer, and his heart is broken for the world and decides, I want to I do this full-time. He goes through Yale. He's not known as that millionaire son. You know, this is a century ago dollars. Not known as that millionaire son, but as this firebrand for Christ. He starts a Bible study with freshmen that multiplies and becomes a movement. So there are 150 Yale freshmen who are in Bible studies by the end of the freshman year. By the way, that's what we want here. We want to pour ourselves into discipling each other, kids, students, and and so that it multiplies disciple those who will disciple others who will disciple others, so it'll multiply and become movements. By the time he was a senior, a thousand Yale students were in Bible studies. What impact. He also started a, a, a mission uh, for alcoholics in New Haven, Yale, the Yale Hope Mission. Uh, this is the kind of life he had. 
uh, when it came time to graduate, he could have had this family fortune, run that business, these lucrative jobs, but he knew his calling was a missionary. After seminary, he first of all wanted to learn Arabic to, to address the Muslim world. He sails to Egypt. He's 25 years old, wants to give his life for the gospel. He, he contracts spinal meningitis and is dead within a month. And those who knew him said this, you know, he gave all he had away, and he didn't look at that as a sacrifice, but as a privilege. He was freed up to be generous because of his trust in the Lord. He had no regrets, no regrets. I bet he doesn't have any regrets now. Um, the early church, uh, we've found a letter from a leader by the name of Diognetus, and one of his sentences is powerful. It says this about the fellow believers and sisters in the Roman Empire. He says, we share our table with everybody, but we share our bed with nobody. And the point is, they were generous with their money. We share our table with anybody. But they were private with their bodies. We share our bed with nobody. Now, what was so striking is that was just the opposite of the Roman Empire. They were stingy with their money and promiscuous with their body. Now, what culture do you and I live in? Stingy with money. I think average giving is about one or two percent. Christians are barely higher, by the way. Stingy with our money promiscuous with our bodies. Church, that is not who you are. You are a blood-bought disciple of the living God. You've got Jesus Christ in you. You are bound for eternity, not time. You are a citizen of the living God, the kingdom of glory. You are generous with your stuff, and you are private with your body because of a Savior who died for us. Now, church, this speaks not only to our generosity, our greed to our stuff, but every area of worry. Jesus, time after time in the passage, do not be anxious. And what is that? What is God speaking to you about this morning? What is he speaking to me about? Because I struggle with this. Ask him, ask him, just bow your head. Lord, what are you saying to me? What area of my life do I need to give my worry to you?